Lesson number 124, Surah Yusuf, ayah number 36 to 57. In the previous ayat, we learned something very interesting about the life of Yusuf alayhi salam. And particularly the decision that he made for himself, rather the choice that he made for himself. And what was that? That when the fitna in his house, the house that he was living in, it intensified when the virus basically spread, which was that now there was not just one woman after him, but all the women right, of the elite class, what happened? They were all after him. Remember that the wife of Aziz, what did she do? She held a banquet and she invited all the women and she told Yusuf salam to enter in before them. And when they saw him, they were all mesmerized by his beauty and they all cut their hands because they basically were shocked and amazed at the beauty of Yusuf salam. And the wife of Aziz at that time, she openly invited him again to do haram with her. And she threatened him that if you don't comply, then what's going to happen? You're going to be put behind bars. You're going to be put in prison. So what was the choice that Yusuf made? What was it that he decided for himself? Did he say, oh, you know what, I'm being forced to do haram over here. If I don't do it, I'm going to lose my freedom. The little freedom that I have, I might as well enjoy it. So you know what, I'm in a very difficult situation. So did he give up over there? What did he do? What did he say? That indeed prison is more beloved to me than the haram that they are calling me to. I'd rather choose prison now than suffer for eternity in the prison of the hereafter, which is hellfire. And this was, from a worldly perspective, a very bad choice. If you think about it, from a worldly perspective, it was a bad choice. Because on the one hand, I mean, he's got all the women that he could ever want. Imagine the women are going after him. What did he have to lose? It was a fulfillment of any man's desire. But he was leaving that, he was sacrificing that, he was giving up that. Why? In order to keep Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala happy with him. Right? So from a worldly perspective, it seems like a bad choice. Because if he listened to the women, absolute fulfillment of desires. But here he was losing all of his freedom and going to jail. Why did he do that? Why did he make this choice? Because remember that anything that happens in this dunya, anything that happens in this life, whether it is good or it is bad, is it temporary or is it eternal? It is temporary. What's going to happen? Very soon, it's going to pass. It's going to be over. You go to Wonderland, you have a whole day full of fun. But then what happens? Eventually the day ends, right? And you have to head home. Whether you want to go or you don't. And the funniest thing is when you see, I don't want to call them children because they're not really children, but people who are big in their body, tall, strong, but they're kind of whining and they're upset because they have to leave. They're dragging their feet out of the park because they don't want to leave. But what does this tell us? That anything that happens in this life, it is temporary. So you could enjoy something for now. But remember that its consequences, they are eternal. Its consequences are eternal. If a person does haram right now, he has a haram relationship, he has haram food, he makes haram money, okay, he's having the time of his life. But is it going to last forever? Is it going to last forever? No, it's going to end sooner or later. 
But what is going to be forever? The results, the consequences of that action. Of that action. So if a person chooses haram, then remember, there are going to be eternal consequences in the hereafter. So the one who chooses the dunya, he will enjoy a little bit, but will suffer for eternity. But the one who chooses the akhirah, then Allah will take care of his dunya also, and give him more much later. Now we see that at this stage of Yusuf salam's life, where he had lost his family, he was living as a slave, and then now he was put in jail basically. This was a time when the difficulties had reached their peak. The difficulties had really intensified. But remember that when the night darkens, then what follows next? What comes after that? What comes after that? More darkness? What happens? Day, light comes. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and looked around you or looked outside the window? How dark is it? It's pretty dark. But then what happens after Fajr? What happens? It's so bright as if there was no darkness over there. Right? So remember that when the difficulties intensify, when they worsen, when they increase, then relief is near. So be hopeful at that time. So Yusuf salam, yes, he did end up in the prison. But remember that going into the prison became a gateway to his future success. It became a step towards his future success. And there are many lessons to be learned over here. You see, Yusuf salam, before he was with his father, right, with his family as a child, very attached to his father. Then what happened? He lost him moved to Egypt as a slave, and then he was well respected and well taken care of by his master. Right? But then what happened? He lost even that. And where did he end up? In jail. Who was taking care of him? Which person? Which person? No person. No person at all. So we see that he was literally being cut off from everyone. He was cut off from his father, from his family, he was cut off from his master, right? from his employer, whatever you want to call him. And in jail, which person did he have with him? No one. But who was always looking after him? Who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So remember that many times in life we get people and then we lose them. We get people and then we also lose them. Friends, relatives, sometimes a spouse, sometimes children, sometimes really, really good family friends or cousins, whoever you want to call them, whoever they may be. But remember that they are human beings. And while they do deserve love from us, while they do deserve gratitude from us for the favors that they've done to us, no one but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deserves our ultimate love and gratitude. It is only Allah who deserves that. Ultimate love and gratitude. We also see that Yusuf salam he was going through a lot of difficulty. One difficulty over the other. Because difficulties, what do they do? They break us. Right? When we lose our power, our freedom, our you know friends, our loved ones, then what happens? We are broken. And this helps us humble before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the reason why we are told to fast. 
for an entire month of Ramadan. To feel hungry and to feel thirsty, let the body feel deprived. So that you can easily humble yourself before Allah. Because if the body is well fed, if you've slept enough, if you're comfortable in your body, then why would you bother to lift up your hands? Why would you bother to seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So difficulties and loss in life, what do they do? They help us get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also remember that going to the prison was something very difficult. Think about it. Put yourself in that position, being put behind bars for a crime that you have not committed. This is something very difficult. But this was also a part of his learning, a part of his growth. Because while you learn a lot from freedom, you also learn a lot from difficulties. Right? So for example, if you have a very good meal at a restaurant with your family, is that a good experience? Is that a good experience? Yes. Makes you happier, makes you perhaps grateful. Different feelings are experienced by different people. Right? But remember that difficulties also teach you. So for example, when you're hungry, you're thirsty, you're needy, does that teach you a different lesson? Does that teach you a different lesson? What lesson does it teach you? What lesson does it teach you? Hmm? Okay, so for example, to value food, what else does it teach you? Okay, that you finally are concerned about people who have less, right? So good times teach you and bad times also teach you. Exposure teaches you something, but when you're restricted in your freedom, in your means, in your capacity, that also teaches you something. Like for example, if you have a lot of money, and you get to spend, you get to buy, you get to shop, you see a lot of things. You get to travel, you see a lot of things. But when you're tied on money, then that teaches you something else. That teaches you to be more careful with your money. Be grateful for even the little that you have. You want to say something? Pain and hardship is the best teacher. Pain and hardship is the best teacher. Now you may wonder, but how could going to prison be a means of learning and growth for Yusuf a.s. Think about it. In the house of Aziz, where Yusuf a.s. was living as a slave, how many people do you think he would interact with? How many people? Because if you're a slave, you're basically under your boss. If he tells you, stay in the house 24-7-365, you're there. You're not allowed to go outside the house. Literally, you're not. And even if you do, it's only going to be for limited time, for just a few things here and there, your exposure to the rest of the society would be limited. Right? So in the house of Aziz, remember that Yusuf was still in, you could say, in a box. He was still in a closed place. I mean, he wasn't really experiencing much life outside the house. But when he went to prison, that allowed him to see the entire system of or that entire nation from within, because now he was with the people, the common people. And he got to experience and see things from a very elite perspective, because the Aziz Misr, I mean, he was a very noble man, he was a person from the high society. So he got to see things from that angle, and now in the prison, 
all the way at the bottom, he got to see things from a completely different angle. So he got to see things of the Egyptian society, both from top as well as from bottom. So he learned and he observed about those people what others did not. Also remember that the time in prison allowed him, it provided him solitude, loneliness. Because you have limited interaction with people, right? Even if you are in the prison and you see people, can you just hang out with them? Can you? No. You're probably just locked up in a cell, closed in a place, and yes, you are given time to go and see different kinds of people or meet them who are in the prison, but still, majority of your time is spent in silence. Is that necessary? Solitude, is that important for growth? Mothers? Yes. When you do thinking only, then uh, you think about the Creator. Because the thing is that if you are constantly interacting with people, you're working, physical work, or you're talking to them, then what happens is that you don't get time to think. You don't get time to reflect. You don't get time for self-improvement. But when you get time to yourself, then you can reflect, you can work on self-improvement, you get to think about so many important things. There has to be a balance. Not that 24 hours you're just locked up in a room and just meditating. No. A time you need to spend with people. A time you need to spend doing work. And a time you need to spend in solitude for your own good. Um, I know in the night when it's completely dark and my parents are asleep and my sister's asleep and sometimes I can't fall asleep and it's dark in my room and I sort of start thinking about things I wouldn't think about and I don't know, it helps me really, it's a lot better making dua in the night at that time when it's dark and you feel helpless. Yes, very true. Any mothers over here who feel that they need even 10 minutes a day every day for their mental sanity? Huh? Like for example, my kids, I have to put them to bed like around 7.38 because I know that my patience is going to expire and my temper is going to, you know, erupt or something. So I need that space to myself. And I, I mean it, to myself. Those 10-15 minutes or that half an hour, that one hour, how much ever time I get, I don't like to make any phone calls. I don't like to go, you know, on any kind of chat or talk to anybody. I just want peace, sukoon, where you can think and just give your mind some rest. Go ahead. Assalamu alaikum. As part of the chaplaincy work that I do in the prison, I learned a lot from these girls. There are girls who come in there, Muslim girls, who don't even know their Arabic alphabet. And mashallah, they see the others who know it and they want to learn and they start learning. And yesterday I met one girl who has been there like about a year and she has memorized most of the fortress and she was reciting the duas and all the other ladies they were amazed they said how did you learn this she said I have all the time I mean it's just that and a lot of them they start to give the dawa and you won't believe it how many girls in there who are in despair and you know lonely they are turning to Islam and taking shahada Subhanallah. So we might think that if we are restricted somewhere or our freedom is taken away from us, you know, it's the greatest injustice that could have ever happened. If you focus on the positive, it's actually very good for you. There's so many people who go to prison 
But that life in prison doesn't kill them. It becomes a doorway for future success. Think about so many people who've brought in a lot of change, a lot of benefit to humanity in general. And if you read their biographies, you'll find out they spent a couple years in prison. Can you think of some people? Okay, for example, in Pakistan, Maulana Maududi. Okay, who else? Nelson Mandela. Yes? Ruben Carter. Okay, a boxer. Yeah? So many shuyukh, right? So for example, Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal, he spent time in jail. Imam Ibn Taymiyyah, he spent time in jail. Yes? Malcolm X. I mean, so many people, they spent time in jail, in prison. I'm not saying pray for going to prison or do something to get there. A'udhu Billah. No, what I mean is that there are times in life when things are happening and we don't understand why they're happening to us. Is there anything in your life that you're not happy with? That you're very, very frustrated with? Anything? Is there? Let me ask you a different question. Who in this room is perfectly happy and satisfied with their life? Everything is good and perfect in every single way. Everything happens the way you want it to. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. But what's the key to success? Always focus on the positive of whatever negative is happening in your life. Even if you're frustrated with your brother in your life, or your husband, or a habit of your children, or any relative, or not having relatives around, whatever it may be, there is always khair in that. It's training you for future. But... You cannot benefit from this opportunity unless you embrace it. Unless you accept it. And you focus on the positive. You really have to do that. So then what happened? Yusuf salam he was in prison. When he went to prison, وَدَخَلَ مَعَهُ And he entered with him. Asijna, the prison, meaning into the prison, someone else also entered along with him. Along with who? Yusuf a.s. Who entered the prison with him? Fatayan. Two young men. Fatayan is a duel of Fata. Fata, a boy. Young man. So two young men, they entered the prison at the same time as him. Who were these two men? It is said that they were royal servants who were both accused of plotting to kill the king. It is said that one of them was Isaqi, meaning the one who brought water or wine or whatever to the king. And the other was Khabbaz, meaning the one who baked bread for the king. So what happened was that the king, he was served his wine and his bread. And what happened that as soon as he was about to have it, one of these two men, he said that, no, no, this wine, it has poison. Now the person who was serving the wine, he said, no, no, the bread has poison. So now what's going on? Which one actually has poison? They didn't know. So what did they do? They just put both of these men in jail. And while they were in jail, they checked as to which of the two had poison. Was it the bread or was it the wine? So when they tested the bread, that had poison in it, not the wine. So anyway, these two men, they also entered the prison along with Yusuf a.s. And when they entered along with him, they must have noticed him. Because in the prison, I mean... Yes, you do notice others, 
people do notice one another. But because they entered at the same time, they especially noticed Yusuf alayhi salam. But as they spent time in prison, they observed Yusuf alayhi salam, and they realized that this man was different. Qala, he said, Ahaduhuma, one of them two. One of those two men, he said to Yusuf alayhi salam, that inni arani, indeed I saw myself, a'asiru, that I was squeezing, I was pressing khamra wine. So these two men who entered the prison along with Yusuf alayhi salam, they came to Yusuf alayhi salam one day, and one of them he said that I had a dream and I saw myself pressing wine. A'asiru is from ayn sadra, and asara is to press, to squeeze. Alright? Asr is also used for time because with the passage of time, what happens? Your energy is squeezed out, right? The life is squeezed out of you basically. So I saw myself, Asr khamra. Khamr is alcohol or wine. Waqala al-akhar, and the other man, he said, Inni arani, indeed I saw myself, ahmilu, I was carrying, fawqa ra'si, above my head, khubzan, bread. Khubz, khaba, zay. He said, I saw that I was carrying bread on my head and ta'kulu tayru. The birds were eating minhu from it. So these two men, they came to Yusuf and told him about the dreams that they had had. One of them, he said, I saw I was extracting wine. And the other said, I saw myself carrying bread and birds were eating from that bread. And that bread was where? On my head. Have you ever seen people carrying things on their head? Right? So just imagine a basket or something, whatever he was carrying bread in it, and birds are coming and eating from it. Now both of these dreams are kind of different. In the sense that it cannot be just your hadith on nafs. You know, your nafs talking to you in your dream. We learned about the different kinds of dreams. Right? And I told you that one of the kind of dreams is which one? That which is true, and that is a dream. What's the sign of it? That it's very vivid, and it leaves an impact with you, and it makes you curious. It keeps coming back to you, meaning the thought of it. So both of these men, they came and asked him, that Nabi'na, tell us, inform us, bita'wilihi with its interpretation, because inna naraka al muhsinin. Indeed, we see you of those who are muhsin. We see that you are a muhsin. You are of those who do good. Now these people, they saw Yusuf in the prison very closely. And they were clearly impressed by Yusuf character, his good manners, his personality, his behavior. And this is what brought these men to Yusuf I mean, think about it. How often does it happen that a stranger just walks up to you and asks you a question that they have in their life? Is it possible? Or would you just walk up to a stranger and ask him the interpretation of your dream? Would you ever do that? No. Who would you ask? Who would you ask? Someone whom you see and you think that yes, they must be knowledgeable. They seem like a very good person, very righteous person. They have good character, good manners. They're a nice individual. And if I share with them my problem, perhaps they can give me a good suggestion. Because... You don't just go up to any stranger and pour out your heart before them. So the fact that these two men went to Yusuf and asked him the interpretation of their dreams, it shows to us the personality of Yusuf That how he won the hearts of others, how? Through his good akhlaq. 
through his good manners. Tell me something. What kind of people are generally in prison? All the people are innocent? In prison? No. Of course, majority of the people are accused of some crime. If you've seen any clip, any video of you know, people in prison, an actual real video, right? then what do you see? What do you hear? A lot of noise. I mean, big people whom you're even scared to see. Right? You feel intimidated by them just because they're big and tall and the way they just walk. and It's scary. It's scary. But Yusuf a.s. did he become like them? Did he become like them? No. He was a man of principle. Which meant that no matter where he was, he was to show good character. He was to observe good behavior. But what happens with us? What do we do generally? If we are spoken to in a nice way, we will also speak in a nice way. But if we are spoken to in a harsh manner, then how do we think we must respond? In which way? Harshly also. If someone's being rude to us, we also need to be rude in return. Because how else are we going to defend ourselves? You have to be mean in order to take your rights. The other day somebody was telling me about a very funny experience they had with tow truck drivers. What happened was that their car was being towed and these tow truck drivers, when they took their car to the dealer and as they you know, were trying to unhook it from the tow truck, they basically didn't do that carefully and as a result the front bumper, I mean, it was moved. It wasn't really a big issue. There was maybe a minor scratch or something, but the fact that the bumper became loose and these tow truck drivers didn't really care about it, this person got offended. And he said to the tow truck drivers that, you know, this look at what you did. And those drivers, they got so offended, so defensive. They started yelling and yelling and yelling. But this person, they just stood their ground very firmly. And they said they didn't raise their voice. They didn't argue with them. They just said, I'm just going to call at your head office and just report. That's it. And those tow truck drivers, they got so freaked out. They got so worried that they kept asking, so where's the issue? So what is it that we can do? They're like, no, it's okay. We'll just call at the head office and let them know. And they didn't call at the head office. They actually received 10 calls within a couple of hours even. Why? Because he was firm and respectful, didn't raise his voice. And what happened? He won. That is what brought him victory. But what happens is that when we start yelling, when we stoop to the level of the other person, then what's the difference between us and them? What's the difference? Who's going to win? Nobody's going to win. Or the one who's more rude, perhaps he will win. Right? But it's so important that we remember that we have to rise above the situation that we're in and remain true and firm to our principles and observe them no matter what situation we're in. Yes? Um, I was just thinking that he was still approachable. A lot of the times what happens is things happen to us and because of that we just cut ourselves off of everyone and you know, even if we have something that people need, like we don't give it to them, right? Yes. Even if it's an advice. Very good point. That first of all, the entire atmosphere of the prison didn't rub off on him. Right? He was firm on his good akhlaq, on his good manners, because these people are calling him a muhsin. And secondly, we see that despite the hardships that he was going through in his life, he was still approachable. What happens generally is that if we are going through some difficulty, we say, nobody talk to me. 
Nobody even come close to me. If you come to me, even I'm going to snap at you. You see my claws? I'm ready to attack you. Literally. People are scared. Don't say anything to her. Don't say anything to him. She's going to snap. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. Protect yourself and don't talk to them. But is this the attitude of a muhsin? No. Who's a muhsin? A muhsin is he who has such inner strength that allows him to rise above the situation that he's in and demonstrate good akhlaq, fear God no matter where he is. This is a muhsin. Because he's got inner strength. This strength allows you to speak the haq, to do the haq, to call people to good, to do ihsan, regardless of how other people are treating you. Qala, Yusuf said, لَا يَأْتِيكُمَا طَعَامٌ Your food is not going to come to you, تُرْزَقَانِهِ That you too will be provided. إِلَّا except نَبَّأْتُكُمَا I will inform both of you بِتَأْوِيلِهِ with its interpretation. Meaning, the interpretation of your dreams. قَبْلَ before أَنْ يَأْتِيكُمَا That it comes to you. Basically what he's saying is that it's almost meal time. And I know you must be hungry. But before your food even comes to you, I will tell you the interpretation of your dreams. I will tell you. But before I tell you the interpretation, I have something else to share with you. Yusuf basically wanted to take advantage of this opportunity and do da'wah to these two men. Alright? He wanted to do da'wah. But what happens is that as soon as you start talking about religion, other people, they shut their brain off. Right? You mention the Qur'an and instantly they will, you know, shut you off. You mention something about the Prophet ﷺ, about the Day of Judgment, about your Islam, about your faith, anything, what will happen? They are not interested in what you have to say. Why? Because they're afraid you're going to go on forever. They're afraid that now you're going to lecture them. But Yusuf salam, he comforts them that I will tell you the interpretation very soon. And just one thing, just listen to me. Before your food even comes to you, I will tell you the interpretation. Somebody was telling me recently that many people who are trained as investigators, they're taught to build a rapport with the person whom they're about to question. How? That you just make them comfortable that you're not going to be on their head forever. You're just going to ask them something quickly and move on. So for example, one thing, one example is that you see somebody at a restaurant and you want to, you're supposed to ask them a couple of questions. Right? Or you want to ask them something. Now if you go and say, excuse me, do you have a few minutes? May I please talk to you? They're like, no, I'm busy. I don't want to talk. They might say they don't feel comfortable talking to strangers. But if you walk up to them with your dishes in hand, on your way to put your dishes, and you just face them, and you just ask them something in passing, or say, you know, say something to them in passing, are they more likely to pay attention to you? Are they more likely to be open to what you have to say to them? Yes, they are. You know, it's like when on Sunday morning, on a weekend morning, the doorbell rings and you open the door and you see someone doing da'wah, right? And they say to you, I know you must be very busy with your family and you must be getting out, but just, we would like you to read this. And if you have any questions, you can just call at this number. But they start off with what? I know you must be very busy. 
But there's just something small I'd like to give you. Just something small I'd like to share with you. And they come as though they're in a rush sometimes. I remember once I was home, it was like minus 20 something outside. Ice, literally ice outside. And this man rings the bell. So I opened the door and he said, I just came by to drop this off. I mean, that those words itself meant what? He came to drop off, he's not here to stay. He's not here for long. So just accept this leaflet, this brochure that I'm giving you. Right? So Yusuf salam, he did the same thing. He said, your food is coming. I won't take very long. I'll tell you the interpretation of your dreams before your food reaches. But before that, just one thing. He says, ذَلِكُمَا That, O you two, meaning what I'm going to tell you, the interpretation of your dreams, is mimma from that which عَلَّمَنِي Rabbi, my Lord has taught me. This knowledge, based on which I'm going to interpret your dreams, is not my own achievement. This is something that my Lord has taught me. So he clarifies to them, I'm not a soothsayer, I'm not someone who knows the unseen. Allah has given me this knowledge. He connects them to their Lord immediately. What does this show to us? That give credit where credit is due. Because sometimes what happens is that you walk in somewhere with a hijab. Hmm? And immediately people think that you are a scholar. And they will come and ask you questions that you've never even come across yourself. You know, your mom tells her friend, oh, my daughter is studying the Qur'an these days. And now all the aunties, they surround you and, and they start asking you questions. You're like, I don't know. Or you could also pretend to show that, oh, yeah, I know all the answers. Ask me any question, I know it all. This is haram, this is halal, this is jaiz, this is wajib. You know, use big words and impress the other person. No. Realize that whatever knowledge you have is, is limited. And who gave you that knowledge? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this humility is very important. He says, ذَلِكُمَا مِمَّا عَلَّمَنِي Rabbi. My Lord has given me this knowledge. And he says, he introduces himself to them, that who am I? You say that I'm a muhsin, who am I? إِنِّي تَرَكْتُ Indeed I have left مِلَّةَ قَوْمٍ The creed, the faith of the people who لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ Who do not believe in Allah وَهُمْ بِالْآخِرَةِ هُمْ كَافِرُونَ And they disbelieve in the hereafter. In other words, I am not like them. In other words, I believe in Allah and the last day. He's very indirectly doing da'wah to them. Because you see, if you tell somebody what you believe is wrong actually, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that's actually incorrect. There's only one God. And you think there's no hereafter? There's actually hereafter. And we start giving them proofs one after the other of the fact of the akhirah. But what happens is that when you start with attacking the other person, are they willing to listen to you? No. They're not willing to listen to you. You can tell them about yourself, about what you think, about what you believe, what makes most sense to you. And then when they can relate with you, they'll be more open to listen to you also. What tabartu? And I have followed Millata, the creed, Abai, of my fathers. Ibrahima of Ibrahim, wa Ishaqa and Ishaq, wa Yaquba and Yaqub. I follow the religion of my fathers, Ibrahim, Ishaq, and Yaqub. 
Why is he saying this? He's saying that you might think that I am alone in this because I'm the only person who has such a belief and everybody around me, you see them worshipping idols. But remember that I'm not alone here. I'm not doing something new. This is something that people have always believed in. Believed in what? Believed in the hereafter and believed in the oneness of God. This is not something new. He says, مَا كَانَ لَنَا It is not allowed for us. أَنُّشْرِكَ بِاللَّهِ That we associate partners with Allah. مِنْ in Anything at all. Meaning, we are not allowed to associate any partner with Allah. Anything at all. Because everything is what? Allah's creation. So the creation cannot be worshipped. Because what can the creation do for you? They can't do much. Who is the one who really deserves worship? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creator. So he says, مَا كَانَ لَنَا أَن نُشْرِكَ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ And he says, ذَلِكَ مِنْ فَضْلِ اللَّهِ عَلَيْنَا That is of the bounty of Allah on us. This is Allah's blessing on us, that He guided us to the truth. He guided us to His oneness. وَعَلَى nas And also on people, meaning this religion of Tawheed is not just for us, but for all people. وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَشْكُرُونَ But most of the people are not grateful. They're not grateful for this blessing. What blessing? The blessing of Tawheed. The religion of Tawheed. Which is why they don't accept it, and they don't benefit from it. What do we learn over here? That Yusuf a.s. He tells them about himself, what he believes in, where he's come from, what religion he follows, why he believes in what he believes in. Right? Why? Because it's very important for the other person to know who you are in order to benefit from what you're saying. Effective communication, when can that happen? When can that happen? When you have some idea about the other individual. Like for example, you're at home. Your phone rings. You pick up the phone. This random person is asking for your husband. And you're like, um, no, he's not home. May I take a message? And this woman is like talking as if she knows him really well and you get offended. Never call here again. And you just shut the phone. You get very upset. As soon as your husband comes in, you're like upset. Why are these women calling and what's going on and what's, you know, don't hide things from me. Do you even know who she is? And he says, who was it? I don't know. This woman by the name of Aisha. From where? Kentucky. Oh, that's my cousin. From my uncle. She's my uncle's daughter. Obviously, if a relative calls, they're going to talk about you differently than other people. Now to understand why this woman is asking about your husband, how his health is and how his work is and what keeps him busy these days and how his parents are, you better know who that individual is. If you don't know that she is his relative, you're going to get really offended. But if you know that, okay, she is his relative, then you understand why she's asking all those questions. It makes sense. So if you don't know who the other person is, how can you communicate with them effectively? How can you understand them? So Yusuf is not showing off over here. I am the son of a prophet of Allah who was a son of a prophet of Allah who was a son of a prophet of Allah. He's not showing off here. He's just telling them a little bit about himself so that these people could trust him. Because you see, 
There could be something that you hear from one person and it has no effect on you, no impact on you whatsoever. But the same words you hear from another individual and it has a great impact on you. Why? Because the first person whom you heard those same words from, they're just an ordinary person. And the other person is a knowledgeable scholar. What do you believe? Who do you believe more? The scholar. Right? Let's say your grandmother tells you, don't have uh, this particular food in your pregnancy because it can make you really sick. And you're like, oh, grandmother, what do you know about medical science? But then what happens? You go to the doctor and the doctor tells you the same thing. You're like, oh, so my grandmother was right. Why is it that you believed in the doctor and not in your grandmother? Why? Why? Because you know that one person has studied medical science, right? So their statement has more weight. So likewise, if you want other people to give weight to what you're telling them, you better tell them where you're coming from who you are, where you got that information from. So for example, you learn about something. You could present it as your own statement or you could present it as really a statement from the Qur'an, as is. Or a statement from the Hadith. What is more believable? Your words or an ayah? What is more easy to accept? The words of a human being or words from the Qur'an? What is more believable? Words from the Qur'an. So this is the reason why Yusuf is telling them a little bit about himself so that they would believe him. Let's listen to the recitation. وَدَخَلَ مَعَهُ السِّجْنَ فَتَيَانٌ قَالَ أَحَدُهُمَا إِنِّي أَرَانِي أَعْصِرُ خَمْرًا وقال الآخر إني أراني أحمل فوق رأسي خبزا تأكل الطير منه نبئنا بتأويله إنا نراك من المحسنين قال لا يأتيكما طعام ترزقانه إلا نبأتكما بتأويله قبل أن يأتيكما ذلكما مما علمني ربي إني تركت ملة قوم لا يؤمنون بالله وهم بالآخرة هم كافرون واتبعت ملة آبائي إبراهيم وإسحاق ويعقوب ما كان لنا أن نشرك بالله من شيء ذلك من فضل الله علينا وعلى الناس ولكن أكثر الناس لا يشكون 